So, good evening, friends. Nice to see you. So, what should we talk about tonight? Am I on? Do you hear me? Yeah. Good. I do have a thought of what I should could talk about. <laughs> it was suggested uh, just a general topic of awareness. Um, so, the first question: feeling a little, a little bit aware right now? Got something going? A little bit more than when you arrived, maybe. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I kind of imagine that in a place like this where not that much is expected of us, and the heart is not getting at least intentionally, you know, activated or triggered by the world that you know, environment like this where we can over time at least learn to settle in and feel increasingly at home, that this is an okay place to be, that the mind has all the nourishment that it needs. And we actually wouldn't need to do that much. If we were to stay here maybe God forbid for some of you for like another six months. How would that feel? (laughs) Good or bad? Who says good? It's about half. Who says terrible (laughs) or somewhat bad? Not yet ready. Okay. (laughs) So, but you know, even for those that don't, wouldn't want to, it's almost impossible because it's lawful in terms of the conditioning that when we are in an environment that inclines the mind towards clarity, towards being present, towards remembering, right? It's very difficult to see people being mindful or intending to do so and not have that be a little bit impactful. We are very social beings. And so even hanging out with other people with this basic intention for kindness and clarity. And yet, you know, we come here for a week and so we've got, we've got to get something done, right? So we've, we create the schedule just to make sure we get it done. <laughs> you know, but oftentimes in monasteries, it's actually not much of a schedule. You're just living there. And just the environment, the basic intention, the views that are spoken about, that inclines the mind and heart towards settling to catching up with ourselves and being caught up so that we're actually in real time in our life as we move through it. And so for a lot of you, you've been sharing stories and things that begin to feel like they're like a life review. The stories that we haven't had a chance to fully digest, emotions that have been maybe from years back still being, uh, needing some air, some time to, to be felt. Or just the ongoing 
activities of the world, the current environment that we're in. We don't have a, t- have a chance to fully arrive into the sensitivity of that and feeling it in a vulnerable way that allows us to really understand what the process is. You know, so it's natural that when we come here, we do put in these efforts because time is precious and we have this container to be here. But the, the bigger arc of our path, of our journey, for me feels more and more over time like a, a deepening of a trust in the practice, in the path. And trusting that what life is offering in each moment is enough. It's enough to be with one breath. When we remember that, that's enough. It's enough to just know generally how we're feeling. That was a encouragement that my own teacher, Saido Utejaniya in Burma, he would encourage me when I was leaving the monastery there and heading back into lay life. You know, he said, an easy way of developing continuity of awareness. And if you just keep track of how you're feeling during the day, just in a general sense, and oftentimes that's not too subtle, not too far out of reach, but it reveals so much about our current state of being. Just a general sense, how am I feeling right now? Is there a sense of being present? There's some feeling that this, this present moment isn't enough. Something else needs to change. So some feeling of dukkha. Is there agitation in the mind and heart? So what we want to do in our practice is really to begin to recognize how available the Dhamma is. As we trust ourselves to listen, we trust that it doesn't need to be other than what's happening. We trust in simplicity of knowing, simplicity of being aware. It feels like this is doable, something that I can live with. And for, I don't know, for better or worse, but it seems like the more that I am in the Dhamma, the more simple my mind seems to be getting. So pardon me if I just keep saying the same thing over and over again. (laughs) But there's such a simplicity of experience when we start to rest more in qualities of Dhamma that are just wholesome. Just remembering to be aware, remembering to relax. The complications of life come from all the ways that we identify with experience, we attach to it, 
And all the views, the subtle views and opinions that we have, this shouldn't be happening, right? Something else is better. I don't want this. A phrase that I really appreciated from from Utejaniya, he would say that the meditating mind can be very, very simple. The mind that's practicing can be so simple. We're developing just ordinary moments of being aware. And aware of what? It doesn't matter. Whatever feels easy. Right? That's why we start with things that may be more available, like how does the body feel? The body is always with us. Most of the time, the body is with us. Do you, do you feel your body? It's with you. <laughs> you know, and then as we allow the awareness to begin to recognize more parts of our experience, It's like each moment is so rich, so full of possibilities of becoming aware. So there's the body that we we recognize. Each moment of knowing the body strengthens the moment of awareness. And then as we open to seeing, I've been saying, talking a lot about that in the check-ins. So for the moment that we wake up, if we have sight, if we're sighted, for the moment that we wake up and the eyes open, we're seeing, we're looking around. If the eyes are open. And then we spend all day with the eyes open looking around. So the habit of the mind is to go towards the things that we see. You know, we lean outwards and it's a little bit like watching a movie. You know, so we're just seeing things and objects which feed the concepts in the mind, which then feeds the opinions and the views, things that we like and don't like, stories, comparing ourselves. And when we start to develop the ability to be aware of seeing, a very simple function, just aware that seeing is happening. Amazing difference. Because now you're seeing and there's some awareness that's there. I started to notice this strength of that when I was with my family, talking to relatives, to parents, siblings. So normally if I was with someone I really knew, most of what I was aware of was the idea that I had of them. So without awareness, our relationship to experience comes through a lot of conditioning, a lot of, a lot of our ideas that we have. And in a way, it's like a prison. We imprison the reality that we're with through our preconceptions. I already know you, or at least I already have an opinion about you, right? And it's amazing, probably when we first arrive only took us about half an hour to have an opinion about everyone. (laughs) Someone was telling me their nicknames and they had very creative nicknames. So every person had a nickname, a hundred people in the hall. I don't know how they remembered all the nicknames, you know? 
I was like, please don't tell me mine. <laughs> I already do enough of that. <laughs> so, you know, so what, what does awareness do? Awareness allows us to see our opinion, see our idea, but it's fresh, right? In the moment. So if I'm looking at someone that I know really well and there's awareness, the mind feels fresh, receptive, listening. And I think that was one of the things I really appreciated the most in a way when I was having my check-ins with my teacher. So every time I talked with him, it felt like there was a freshness. It's the first time I'd ever experienced that, this in the moment, what's here, wide open, so it's just love. Right? I was free, free to be in the moment as I was. Yeah. And it's beautiful what this quality of awareness offers. And so something very small like that seems insignificant to be aware of seeing. A lot of stories come through the eyes, a lot of idea making. We put prisons around ourselves, around others. So anything that supports moments of awareness, not to underestimate it. Moving the attention around to different sense doors, hearing, opening to sounds. Over time, we've become more sensitive to the views, the subtle commentary that's happening in in the mind. So I started to pay attention to all the ways that my mind would say anything that should be happening or shouldn't be happening. And it's almost like actually I would reverse engineer that like from a moment of suffering, it it began to become a teacher. I would feel something didn't feel right right now. I don't know what it is, but there's something doesn't feel right. Even if it's vague, I'm not actually totally 100% happy right now. So if that's the case, then we, you can look, what's the cause? So one understanding of delusion, of moha, ignorance, is that we don't understand the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths, for those that haven't heard that enough times, the first is that there is suffering. There is suffering. And it's to be understood, just that there is suffering. There is this potential in ordinary moments that suffering is possible. In a world that is full of change, not in our control, body ages, get sick at times, we don't get everything we want all the time. So it's dukkha. The second is that there is a cause. The cause is that we grasp, we cling after things that are not self. We identify with these natural processes of mind and heart. And so we cling to experience. The third truth is that there's a possibility of the ending, the cessation of suffering. And the fourth is the path, that there is a path to be cultivated, to walk, and that when it's developed, 
releases the mind and heart from suffering. So the fourth noble truth is the eightfold noble path. So in that, uh, in that category, the eightfold noble path, that's where we find things like right mindfulness, right awareness, right concentration, and right stability of mind. But then other things that are more in the world, right speech, right action, right livelihood. So any ordinary moments of cultivating what is wholesome is the development of the path. It's already leading to the end of suffering, right? Many of us have people probably in our lives, maybe some of our elders that we know or have heard about who haven't necessarily intentionally walked the path, but they're happy, they're joyful. And if you were to look into their mind, their mind stream, either now or in the past, they would have been walking the path, maybe not intentionally, but they would have been cultivating these beautiful qualities of heart, of mind. So it's a very lawful truth. So I was trying to say, before I got onto that tangent, let's see, that uh, Duke, uh, I would reverse engineer, I use that word, that was a big word to use, reverse engineer. (laughs) So I remember it. Uh, So let's see. Yeah, so to go from dukkha, suffering, what's the cause? So I started asking myself that. And inevitably, I would eventually find some idea in the mind. So anytime there's some suffering, there has to be wrong view. The mind is not seeing and understanding correctly the nature of reality. It's not seeing the Dhamma. So as the awareness opens, and we start with things that that feel easy, accessible, but not limiting to those objects. So things like body sensations, the breath, begin to recognize our states of mind, our moods, emotions. Then over time, we understand the nature of thoughts and we see the process of thoughts impacting emotions, emotions creating sensations, let's say, in the body. So lawful unfolding, cause and effect processes that also weaken this misunderstanding of the idea, the illusion of self, of me. So thoughts get known. And then very deep, subtle ideas about reality. Those views that we have. And they can be views about ourself that we've picked up, maybe from family, from society, internalized stories. We have a lot of internalized stories about race color of our skin, very damaging. And so as we soften the awareness to open up to experience, all aspects of our life become revealed. We don't have to go searching. It's really a settling back, opening,
being willing to, to listen to what's already happening in life. This is why we've been, we've been trying to really encourage you to consider this being here as life so that you feel inspired and empowered to live with awareness rather than this activity that we do, you know, formally here and there, but actually to live in an awakened way. And learning to put as much energy into taking care of the mind, take care of being aware as it is with any other thing that we're doing. But we're so habitually accustomed to putting energy into what we're doing, what we're becoming, who we are. And we just don't have the habit of taking as much care of the mind. So that's why those questions that we drop in, is the mind aware? What can you be aware of right now? So it's learning to, to cultivate these ordinary moments of being present, being at home in experience as we move through our life. So then it feels increasingly that we're at home. Full range of emotions. So we're not denying anything. It's actually no longer being in conflict. There's a, um, a story I've, I've shared before about one way that I had gotten narrow about my own practice, being aware. And it was in the, in the monastery in Burma that, where I had uh, ordained for a couple of years. And there was a, a monk there. He was from, it doesn't matter where he's from. Wonderful monk. And uh, so at that time, monks were, you know, I just, I, I assumed that if you were a monk, that you, you were kind of enlightened, you know, <laughs> you're perfect. All you have to do is become, you know, a monk or a nun, just shave your head, let's all go do it. And then we'll just be, you know, we'll be free. So you get rid of your old mind, then you put on a new mind and we're done. <laughs> so that was kind of my projection onto... So I thought, well, you know, anyway, so I arrived there. Uh, actually, the very first day that I arrived there, I was, I was greeted by this monk who um, welcomed me and began talking to me about uh, life there, being a monk, you know, the Dhamma, and just, and I was so thrilled. This is my first monk conversation. So that's really amazing. <laughs> And, uh, and I felt special because he was talking to me a lot. And so I was like, wow, this is great. Uh, I must be really, <laughs> I've got really good potential. <laughs> so anyway, so he was just, you know, talking and continued talking. So this is the first day that I arrived. And so and he just continued and continued talking. So then we, he brought me back to his room and, and we continued talking. I was listening, he was talking. And then 
this is at a time when the monastery uh, uh, generator wasn't always working, so the lights would go on and off, and then would, it would go off for a while. So light would go off, and I would assume that maybe we would pause there. <laughs> but out of the darkness, the voice kept coming. <laughs> so anyways, the talking just kept on going. But I did actually still feel very special because <laughs> I am the recipient of all of this, you know, conversation from someone so, so uh, awake and enlightened. Anyway, so it didn't take me that long. But after a few weeks, I began to realize that um, he had an on button. Really hard to find the off button. <laughs> very difficult to get, to, to, to kind of find a pause. And he had a way of speaking that each sentence stopped somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so it'd be really rude to sort of walk away. Um, so I just got stuck for hours in these, in these conversations. And then I, I began to see that I wasn't actually the chosen one, that there were lots of people that he would get, you know, they would get cornered. And so anyways, that's the setup. And it, so at one point, my practice was going really well, right? So I would be in the hall and the steadiness, the clarity, the, you know, it's, wow, this is amazing. The mind can get so clear. I don't want anything to disturb this. <laughs> so then I'd look out. Because <laughs> I wanted to get back to my room so I could do some lying down meditation. So I'd look out. Okay, I don't see him. <laughs> and so I just got to scurry back. <laughs> okay, so I'd do the practice in my room for a little while and then I'd come out, right? And I wasn't as careful, and then I would get caught. (laughs) So during one of these periods, when I was caught, my mind was raging, so angry. I was like, oh my God, do you you realize the state that I've been in? I am so close. You, 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 you're ruining it. You're ruining my practice. So my mind was just so desiring to get back to the meditation hall, which was where my practice would be, right? Where I could actually watch things. Meanwhile, aversion, attachment, clinging, delusion, running rampant in my mind, right? But I was ignoring all that because I, was, I knew I had to get back to the hall. And because he was very difficult to get away from, I was stuck. And during this one conversation, just being stuck there, I mean, I don't know why it didn't occur to me sooner. (laughs) I was like, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to see. This is the meditation hall. This is my mind. And it just became so clear at that time. All of the energies that my mind were putting into trying to get something. And I wasn't actually there. During all those times, you know, that I'm running back and forth between the meditation hall and my cocoon in my room, you know, just running back and forth. All of that, all of those opportunities. And that I was getting this precious moment 
to see so deeply into my mind of preferencing, preferences. This shouldn't be happening. I can't be aware right now, right? So I, I, I really began to practice, and I, I actually, well, not quite, I almost began to look for him. <laughs> almost, but, uh, but I didn't avoid, that was clear. I actually stopped avoiding. And that was enormous, that I could just be there. And when conversations were happening, okay, just let's be here. Just simple hearing, wonderful. I didn't have to talk that much, just hearing, <laughs> hearing. So I, I got so much practice in conversation, right? And I can't say how, how grateful I am now. I mean, it really, it really cultivated my, my practice to a point where it helped me to be more and more continuously aware, regardless of what's going on. And increasingly, if there's some suffering, in fact, the awareness almost automatically comes up because it knows something is going on and it's not the other person. I stopped suffering after that and talking with him. It was just so, it was so clear that I could be there and be feeling what was going on, be aware of what was happening, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to underestimate the, the support that we get from simplifying our life, from taking periods of sitting, not needing to do anything. We just sit still, we close our eyes or open them, doesn't matter, but just nothing to do, right? So that's, that's of immense value, but not to attach to it, not to cling to it. Those are just moments that the awareness becomes stronger, hopefully, the wisdom is getting roused so that there's more clarity in the mind, more understanding. These moments are changing, dhammas being known, whatever wisdom is there. So that when we get up from the cushion, there's this momentum and we continue as we can to be aware of what feels available. It doesn't need to be quiet. Someone talking endlessly, if I can do that, you can do it. Right? Sounds in the house, chaos on the streets. So our awareness, one of the beautiful qualities of awareness is nothing is too powerful for awareness to know it. Any experience that you've ever had has come into your consciousness. And that's just whether or not we're actually there for it, knowing it. It might be that we get entangled, so the habit patterns of identification and attachment are very strong. So it's not just that by being aware, we fix problems. We know that, right? Have you been able to fix your problem just by being aware? Aches and pains, right, still there. Heartaches still come. But every moment of awareness first is dispelling the delusion of not knowing it, and then some understanding can happen. Right? We're meeting it. We're meeting it. We feel it. Recognize something about its nature. So awareness can receive anything. And then that receiving, slowly we begin to, to recognize how the mind reacts. 
the real cause of our struggle, our stress. Really deeply understand what aversion is, what that energy feels like, the views that might be behind it, the opinions about what this moment should be like, rather than understanding the way it is, and then how can I respond as effectively as I can, right, out of wisdom and compassion. I'd love to know if there's uh, any questions percolating in your mind or comments, anything that uh, has been prompted by some of the things that I've shared. Yes? What could you possibly have to talk that much about? I'm sorry? What could you possibly have to talk that much about? Yeah, I don't know, but what do we all have things to talk about? (laughs) We just go on and on, probably himself. No, but Dhamma, he actually had a lot of interest in the Dhamma. So it was Dhammic, you know, and the Buddha said, if you're going to come together and speak, and this was more for the monastic community, talk about the Dhamma, talk about reality, the way things are, rather than talking about people that aren't present or gossiping or talking in ways that weaken our awareness and wisdom. So he was doing that. He was talking about the Dhamma. So it was, it was right speech. It just was on steroids. <laughs> yeah. It's becoming easier to notice aversion because of the suffering. Mm, yeah. And I, I wanted to know if you, how you would recognize or work with desire it seems that since desire, it's a little more pleasurable and the uh, mind doesn't notice it's getting, um, creating suffering. Yeah, yeah, it's a great observation question. So just that uh, question was around, how do you become aware of desire? It feels a little bit easier with aversion because of the suffering that is very clearly created out of aversion and and so but desire a little bit harder because we're chasing things we want right out of desire so it feels like that's a little bit harder to become aware of and i I, that's often not for everyone but that is often the progression of easier to notice the, the aversion that's there because of the agitation that that creates desire There's different ways. Um, I know there are different ways. (laughs) (laughs) Part, you know, part of part of getting to know anything, in a way, is is just that is just hanging out with it. You know, what, what does it feel like to want something? 
What does it feel like? You know, is it a tug? You might hear the mind saying, I need to have that. So maybe mental a little bit in the mind. Uh, I'll just share a quick story. There was, there was a period in my, uh, when I was at, in, in the monastery there and I was alone late at night practicing. And there, there are these um, jaggery, it's called these sugar balls candies, about nugget size. And um, they are offered to the monastic community to have after 12 o'clock, they're considered medicine. So these very tasty sugar, so it's like an energy hit. So they're offered there and they're freely offered. So as a monk, then you can go and get it anytime. So I was there alone in the hall with the jaggery. (laughs) And I was doing walking meditation and the jaggery was just sitting there, minding its own business. <laughs> but I swear it kept calling me, you know, as I was walking back and forth. And I just, it's amazing, I just felt the energy pulling me. I was like, and I didn't have that strong a food at that time, you know, th- that wasn't my thing, but that became my thing that night. It was like, it was pulling my mind. And I became interested in it, so I kept, I'd, walk, I'd walk by it. I was like, okay, I, I know it's there, and I'm, I don't need it right now, so I just would walk by it, pause, wait, turn around, and the energy's still there. Okay, so I'd walk by it again. I'd still feel the craving, the desire. I really want those. I've seen other monks, nuns eat them. They're too sweet for me, but the mind wants it tonight, but it's like, okay, just watch the aversion, watch the craving. So I was watching. So at some point, I actually started to feel tired by it. So I was like, okay. So I grabbed, the jaggery and I put it down and I said, all right, let's do this. <laughs> so I sat there and I, and I looked at it. Just hombre a hombre, right? Just, you know, let's just go. <laughs> I, let's, let's just go for it. So I just looked at it. And what was meant for a community of a bunch of people, I managed to get through. So that's one way of getting through your cravings is to then deal with the consequence of having eaten a whole thing of sugar. But I actually had some very, I'm not recommending this to anyone, but I, I actually, I had some very strong insights around craving and the hook of it. But I did give into it, you know, not that wasn't, I wasn't harming anyone other than I did end up having a situation <laughs> a few hours later <laughs> where I had to run out of the hall and luckily it was the middle of the night um, so no one just saw this monk flying through the hall <laughs> through the grounds trying to reach the bathroom in time so anyways that's 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 the consequence of following our greed so just and so the Buddha actually talked about these three three stages of of working with greed the first is actually to acknowledge it brings satisfaction the gratification we do get gratification. That's why the greed keeps going. The problem with conditioning is that anything that we do builds a habit in the mind. Every moment that we're aware builds a habit. That's why it's not nothing to be aware of one breath. That's the deepening of awareness. So greed, we think it can come to an end by getting what we want. It's just, if we're not aware, 
it's strengthening that tendency to, to act out greed. So the Buddha recommended just acknowledging the gratification and then to reflect on the danger. What is the danger of pursuing pleasurable things, pleasant things, things we want in a world that's not in our control, not subject to our wishes, not able to always get what we want? What's the danger of always living a life pursuing pleasure? So it's clear, you know, there is the danger. And, And greed itself obscures wisdom. The mind becomes narrow. And that's, I think, what was so agitating to my mind when I was passing by, right, this innocent jaggery. I was focusing on it, right? It became an object. And we do that to people. Greed for someone, the mind focuses and they become an object to satisfy greed, right? So that's why the being aware of these energies, very meaningful, very meaningful. So there is the, there is the, the danger, the gratification, there's the danger, and then what is the escape, right? The escape is to recognize it, to understand it, to be aware of it. So that's, that's a progression that we can go through. And, and so more and more when I feel something pulling my mind, I can feel the greed of that. Yeah, there's a wanting there. As we taste that wanting energy, and it can feel like we're toppling forward is one way, always moving forward, something. You know, but for your own experience, just try to explore. What does it feel like to to want? Is it peaceful, that wanting energy? You know, is it peaceful actually to really, to need something that we don't currently have? And we know that, you know, as we sit with that, we can see, no, it's actually, that wanting means I'm not able to be here peaceful, right? And then when there's those moments when there isn't any greed happening, any aversion happening, we get this taste. This is like mini tastes of Nibbana. There's nothing that needs to change right now. The mind is perfectly balanced, at ease. Right? And that gives great, ins- great inspiration. It's like, yes. If I were to meet all moments like this, that's obviously not going to happen all at once, but if that, if as that builds, increasingly we're meeting moment by moment what is arising with awareness and wisdom, compassion, clarity, equanimity, these qualities that we're cultivating in small moments, but they're, they're gathering, right? Yes. This is a short follow-up. What do you do when, so those small moments of, of being able to be present, if you notice that they're coming from satisfying greed or moving away from something that you're averse to, yeah, right. then how do you handle that? Because you're like, oh yeah, now I feel great that I right. got this thing that that I went and sat under this tree that I wanted to sit under, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just to take an example. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, right, so how do you, how do you actually, what, or what do you do as we notice it actually feels better to get rid of things that we don't like and actually getting the things that we want, but what's the solution there? Right, right, like that does calm the mind. Right. But that's not a um, lasting way to calm the mind. Right, the, just noticing that that does calm the mind, and yet that's not how to become free of these. These, I mean, just that, just that very recognition, is the path. 
that yes, sometimes in order to balance the mind, it may be helpful to, to take a break from something that's stirring the mind up, right? Agitating the mind, no problem. Anytime that it feels helpful to balance the mind, great. And then we, we find that we're moving towards something that's very pleasant, just watch the greed, watch the energy of that. So you're noticing something feels pleasant and there's the desire for it. There's nothing wrong with allowing yourself to enjoy the pleasant, but the need for it, that is a source of suffering, right? The acknowledgement, this is very pleasant. Oh, this is pleasant. And that's compassionate to do something to the mind and body that feels pleasant. But without awareness, that very easily then follows up with that tendency to need it in order to feel more satisfied, in order to feel happy, then we, we, and this is the path of, we say, addiction. You know, we get addicted to things that we need to have or want, even in very small forms. But we are all addicted, meaning we have these habits of craving, aversion, getting interested in those energies, right? That's so important because these are deep habits and they're going to surface naturally. They're going to come again and again, right? And if we're willing there to be with them when they arise rather than being ashamed or afraid of them, but actually just to be with them, acknowledge them. And and then there's the whole learning process that happens. That's the beautiful thing of awareness. It allows us to be there for it and then actually understand what is this? So then it's real wisdom. It's not some idea placing onto reality. We're recognizing what, what is true, what is real. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Okay, I see a few hands. We'll, we'll have time, um, more time tomorrow. And, and we'll have time. <laughs> we'll make time. So let's just take a few minutes. Um, don't have to move around too much. I encourage you just to be as you are. Maybe just, and just allow yourself just naturally, just natural, nothing to change. And posture, just a form can be helpful. Eyes opened or closed. May the beneficial energies and efforts of our practice today be shared with all beings. May all beings be safe and at ease, free from suffering. Again, thank you for your practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.